Hello, and welcome to episode number 23 of the Lines Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. We have two of those with us today in Dustin Galker and Adam Candy, spelled not like a Jolly Rancher or Sour Gummy Worms, spelled like with the D-E-E. So if you're looking for him on the interwebs, you will have to find him that way. Guys, of course, we are going to get into this congressional hearing stuff, and that's going to be the main topic today. If you see us kind of gloss over some things that we normally would go a little bit more in-depth with, of course, you understand why there's lots to talk about on that. And of course, we'll circle back next week and hit on those topics. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Please subscribe, wait, and rate and review. And if you want to give us some feedback, podcast at thelines.com. We enjoy hearing from you guys. We want to hear anything that you want to say, good or bad, about this very podcast that we do. So interesting times that are going on right now. Dustin, let's talk about West Virginia to start things off here. We're going to do the quick hits like normal. Uh, West Virginia had some some numbers come out. Yeah, we know the first uh, three week weeks of sports betting in West Virginia had uh, 3.4 million in wagers. Uh, that might not sound like a terrible amount of money, but this is keep in mind this is basically one physical sports book that's in West Virginia. There's no online wagering. We just had Hollywood uh, Charlestown open uh, uh, earlier in the month, and now uh, later in that time period, we had the FanDuel sports book at the Greenbrier open. So um, I'm not sure what we have for expect- expectations, but there's still I mean, three million dollars for a for a sports betting market that didn't exist not online is a pretty big big number big number for my uh for my book yeah i mean i think it's one of those things that we continue to look at in whenever these states open up is yeah the the number might not blow you away at first but as as you just mentioned when you break it down and you realize that there's only a couple of books that were open actually one book for the majority of it and then a couple came on very, there at the very end you know, okay, let's let's start to to break it down and really understand that with with yeah, with one book in a in a month where there's not a ton of sports going on again, we continue to make that caveat about about August where there's not a ton to bet on, certainly not from a public aspect. Uh, I don't hate the numbers. Yeah, and it's uh, you know West Virginia is going to have five casinos eventually with sports books. You're uh, up to 15 different sports book skins or operators are, are going to be in the in there. So this is the tip of the iceberg. This is uh, we're uh, nowhere near a mature market or how many operators or again online wagering. It's going to be a huge part of of every market that opens up, and uh, we'll see that bear out in, the, in future months uh, as West Virginia gets into online sports betting too. Adam, over at Legal Sports Report, of course, you can read all about the ins and outs of this deal. But we certainly want to talk about William Hill and IGT here. William Hill making deals left and right every time that we seem to fire one of these podcasts up like every other week. There's a new deal to talk about with William Hill. And this is a pretty big one as well. I like the angle for William Hill and IGT here. They're pitching pretty specifically in this new partnership to lotteries and we know that we already have a couple of state lotteries that are operating sports betting in delaware and in west virginia and we know that uh, rhode island as well is planning to to go that direction and that's where william hill and igt are already paired up in in rhode island and through this deal they're going to offer their services together nationwide uh, and as you said william hill is, is everywhere uh these two companies combined have a presence in all five states that legal sports betting is at active in right now and i think when you get a look at this deal you can see that it's going to continue to grow well into 2019 
I know when this news came out, Dustin, you did a you did a retweet of the story that was on LSR and just said William Hill basically taking over here. And, you know, from from where we sit, looking at all these different partnerships and looking at what might even be left as we move forward with all this, it certainly looks like William Hill has that their aggressive nature in this is paying off. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find somebody who's done more deals, done, uh, been more aggressive in the U.S. market. I mean, they have entry entry paths into a lot of states. I mean, it's more likely than not if you're in a state that's going to have legal sports betting that you that you can or will be betting at a, a William Hill, you know, either physical book or online book. Um, you know, whether that's good or bad, uh, that's into the buy of the holder. But William Hill is uh, clearly. You know, if not in the lead position, one of the you know big leaders uh, out of the gate in U.S. sports betting. Let us talk about a story near and dear to your heart as we move on here through our quick hits. Oregon sports betting, possibly one of the next states to legalize, Dustin. I mean, how happy are you that you are going to finally get to drop some money on your beloved Philadelphia Eagles in your home state? Pump legal Oregon sports betting into my veins. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't no, have no idea what it's going to look like or how it's going to be. But yes, Oregon uh, continuing to be look like it's moving forward. I've talked to lottery officials there in the past. We had a story at LSR this week where uh, they made actually they've actually gone through the process of making projections of how much revenue uh, they make in Oregon. That's a hundred million uh, in a mature market three years down the road. Well, after launch is what they what they projected. So they're not. This is more than just lip service. They're looking without. Uh, uh, any kind of additional legislation looking at legalizing sports betting in Oregon, it would be through the lottery. We don't have commercial casinos here. We do have tribal casinos as well. But, um, yeah, and it's going to be mobile. It'll be on an Oregon lottery app, you know, possibly as soon as, as next year. So, yeah, good news for, for me and fellow residents of Oregon. I am rooting for you, my friend. I hope that this is up and running in time for you to put all of the futures bets on all, all of your Philadelphia Eagles next year. Maybe you're, Maybe even your Phillies. Maybe even your uh, Phillies. Maybe, yeah. I mean, they Who have dropped they, ten they, in a row. I think have they? I think uh, they yeah, lost they, ten in a row. They, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the exact stat with the Phillies <laughs> was, but they they had they were at one point recently fourteen games uh, over five hundred, and if they finish under five hundred, they'd be the first team in history to do that <laughs> when being that far over five hundred this late in the season. So, it's yes, so good. funny on the Twitter machine. I see these beaten up Phillies fans as well who say like this is pretty much just par for the course. Like I I, I expect nothing other than this from this team. It's yeah, it's a, I mean yeah you you get gut punched when you're a Philadelphia <laughs> sports fan. You just you just expected that's why that's why the eagles win last year was so unexpected so we continue on with our talking about different states and how things are progressing adam what's going on with illinois it's interesting because you look at illinois and you see movement but sometimes you kind of feel like it's a little bit of uh, shuffling some deck chairs on, on a ship that may not be the titanic but it's not really going anywhere right now i mean when you look at where the main bill is right now um i mean really we're looking at an omnibus type bill that's been sitting up in Springfield since 2017. And we do have some upcoming hearings that are going to potentially advance where we might be going with the legislation. But uh, to reference the story that Nick Garcia had at Legal Sports Report this week, he talked to some folks in Illinois who were pointing to the upcoming election as a really big deal for the future of Illinois gaming legislation because Rahm Emanuel is on his way out. There are likely to be changes in leadership uh, at the legislature, looking at a new governor. So what we're dealing with in Illinois could change drastically, and there's a chance it could change for the better in terms of getting something passed next year 
for Illinois and getting sports betting going in Illinois. But sports betting in that state is tied right now to a number of other acts that are within this one larger big so it's not a simple situation. Yeah, it's one of those states, too, that I think is pretty interesting when it comes to a legalization standpoint, Dustin, because you hear I mean, everybody knows it's a very passionate sports, especially Chicago, right? It's a very passionate sports city. I mean, you these guys, Chicago Sports Radio is just absolutely massive. I mean, it is a huge juggernaut there in the city of Chicago. You've got the Cubs, you've got the White Sox, you've got the Bears. I mean, there's there's all kinds of. Uh, you know, teams there that these have this diehard fan base and stuff like that. So I, I feel like in Illinois that that sports betting itself would really, really take off very quickly. Yeah, I'd say it's yeah, it would definitely move the needle in, in Illinois. Uh, so, yeah, so many sports fans, passionate sports fans, uh, pretty big state population wise. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking about pretty small states with West Virginia, Rhode Island, uh, Delaware and some of the other ones. But it's you know, this, this is a, a thing that could really generate some real revenue, real interest for the casinos there, or the tracks. I think, uh, yeah, it would be a no brainer if they can all get on the same page. I've been following Illinois for years and they've they haven't even managed to actually legalize just daily fantasy sports on its own because of all the all the complications and the politics and the stakeholders involved so if there are uh, you know it's a lot of work to be done uh, this this hearing that's next month will be one step toward that but um yeah we'll we'll have to wait and see if in 2019 everybody kind of get on the same page and illinois can actually move forward with with legal sports betting all the hearings we're just going to be talking about hearings from now until eternity basically uh, all, everyone else is just joining my hell this is what i've been doing for four years <laughs> what, uh, I, and matt always always privately jokes like i don't watch these hearings i rely on you tweeting or writing stories so I don't have to watch them, which is this is, this this is, is the way to go. This is true. And I did put myself through the hell that was the, the congressional hearing uh, this morning. So we'll talk about that. And, and I'll give every one of you a reason why you should never, ever tune in to one of these things. FanDuel sent out a letter to its partners here, basically telling them, hey, thanks for working with us. Also, Let's not be working with those offshore books because we're they are literally working against us. Uh, Dustin, this was a pretty interesting story. Yeah, they. I mean, they sent out a letter. If you're promoting offshore books, you better stop it, or we don't really want to work with you anymore. Which is which should be a no brainer. Um, you're if you're in a legal market, you don't want people kind of dipping out of both sides. You want them to promote legal books and you, or they want, or you should go over and, and promote offshore. There's there's not going to be room to straddle the fence, and that's a larger issue I think moving forward. It's more more than just Fanduel saying, hey, don't do this. This is if you're there's going to be a bright line with regulators. Like right? in New Jersey, you can't do both. You ca- you either promote legal books or you promote offshore books. You're not going to be able to say, oh, sometimes I'm doing this, sometimes I'm doing that. And I'm not sure everybody's kind of aware of that based on how much you know, marketing we've seen uh, of these offshore books uh, through through pretty reputable sports uh, sites and, and personalities. So it's uh, it's a larger question. It's something that I think is just coming under the microscope, and you, and you're going to see a lot more about it moving forward. Yeah, pretty. I'm not going to say that this podcast had anything to do with that letter going out, but we did kind of bring it up that it was odd. I mean, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out there that it was odd that there, there were sponsorships from legal entities that were also running in conjunction with sponsorships from 
offshore entities. Just saying. Yeah, we, 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 yeah, I mean, we, and we've been pointing that out. Uh, you know, me and Brett, uh, who's not on the podcast this week, we've been pointing that out um, pretty a lot on the Twitter machine and whatever else. It's, it's an issue. It's like, it, it, and, you know, we saw Jason Robbins, uh, CEO of DraftKings, also bring it up in, in one of his media tours. He was pushing, hey, we can't, you can't be pushing offshore books. We, that's our, that's one of our biggest problems for, for legal sports books. We're coming from a, a position where you're starting from way behind uh, of these guys. So if you, if we want legal sports books to compete, you really need to have everybody on board. You can't have people, you know, uh, t- on both sides of the fence. And finally, in our quick hits before we head to this riveting congressional hearing that we had this morning, uh, Tiger Woods won a golf tournament, Adam. Won. It was really awesome. I mean, the just the spectacle that was, the way that the crowd was reacting, the way that the public was reacting, the way that sports was reacting in general – you look at this and it makes you wonder. I mean, I understand LeBron is a very big needle mover, but outside of LeBron, I actually think Tigers might be the only athlete that can get so much buzz going in all of sports. I mean, there is not, I mean, sometimes in teams and different things like that, but we're talking like individual athletes. It was absolutely crazy to see that reaction. Of course, the, the, because of that win, the byproduct is he is now the betting favorite for basically every golf tournament moving forward. I mean, it's, these future odds have come out. There are actually even future odds coming out about his major wins all the way through 2025. So this is the type of effect Tiger Woods has on everything that they will invent prop bets that, that you would literally have to place a futures bet for seven years if you wanted to, to bet on the different uh, things like that. But uh, let's talk a little bit just about the, the Tiger Woods thing from a sports aspect. And then of course, just the, the gambling aspect as well. So Matt, Dustin, settle in for story time for a moment. (laughs) Adam takes you to 2005, April. Uh, If you know your Tiger Woods history, you probably know what happened that year. Uh, That was the year of the famous chip at 16 up the hill that came back down, settled on the lip, showed the Nike logo for some free publicity, and Tiger and Stevie Williams wheeled it into the hole. And standing about 50 yards away from that hole was Adam Candy covering the Masters uh, that particular year. And it was the loudest roar I've ever experienced covering a sporting event. I've covered the World Series, covered playoffs, the U.S. Open. I've never felt anything like what the fans let out when that shot went into the hole. And and that's always been my lasting impression of Tiger Woods. And now we're seeing that come back into play. Not only that, but Tiger Woods has become a redemption story. Now we look at what Tiger Woods went through and not all of that is, you know, stuff that and that people are going to endorse. But at the same time, the injuries are something that everyone can relate to in terms of what he's fought with through with the knee problem, with the back problem, with the broken leg. And Tiger Woods is at least back in the public consciousness. Is he back as the number one golfer in the world. I don't care about the world golf rankings just for the purposes of what we care about. No, of course not because the competition is younger and stronger and healthier and the Spieth and McElroy and Dustin Johnson crowd is going to be there to give Tiger a challenge consistently. But man, oh man, is it fun to have Tiger Woods back in the discussion and to see what we saw last week with the fans chasing him down and what they felt. And I don't know if you guys saw the piece, the little piece that I retweeted, uh, uh, this week that was about a minute video with Tiger Woods 
looking at an iPad video of everyone who said he would never do anything again, that he would never win a tournament, that he'd never win a major, and just sort of smirking and looking down in a satisfied way at it. Tiger Woods is at least back as America wants him, which is as a contender, which is as a story, which is frankly the only reason they watch golf on a regular basis. Right, and and Dustin, I've said several times on this podcast that I think the legalization of sports betting I think that golf has the biggest amount uh, to gain from it. I believe that once people kind of figure out about golf betting, I think they're going to really get into it. It's a four day sweat. So you can like you're getting, you know, quote unquote, more bang for your buck. You're you're you get all you know Thursday to Sunday whenever you place a bet. Of course, I think a lot of people don't realize the all the different types of golf bets. You can bet groupings, you can bet head to heads, different things like that. And I think that as this continues to expand here, I think golf actually has the most to gain from all of this. I mean, people are going to bet. NFL and watch NFL as it is, but I think that you know people might tune in to some of these golf tournaments a little bit more if they have if they have money on it. So for me, I think golf really has a lot to gain from this. I think the thing that doesn't have a lot to gain from this is this head-to-head match against Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson finishing last in the tournament, Tiger Woods <laughs> winning the tournament. Um, I don't think that that really helps out that so much, but uh, you know, golf in general. Yeah, and you know we saw this already with daily fantasy. Golf went from uh, something nobody offered to it's uh, you know it's a pretty big part of uh, the daily fantasy portfolio over at DraftKings and FanDuel, and uh, you know the, it couldn't come at a better time either. Uh, you got you have Tiger Woods on the Ryder Cup. Uh, part of that. And you can actually now bet on that in New Jersey. I you know, actually got a release today that like DraftKings and a few of the other sports books uh, in New Jersey are, are doing tons of different in-play bets. Uh, you can bet on just the, just the individual pairings, so many different ways to bet on golf. Um, absolutely. It's uh, the, the advent of sports betting, you know, PGA tour and, and, you know, rest of pro golf definitely has a lot to gain from, from this even more so than the other sports, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, in all of this discussion with these leagues, I think the PGA and NHL should change their tune and change their tune very quickly and start trumpeting legalized sports betting because they definitely have the most to gain from all of that. All right. On to our main topic of the week here, and this will take us through the end of the podcast, guys. The, the I just want to I don't want to I want to leave. I want to leave for this. I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> sorry sorry you are you're our oh, lifeline oh. you're our lifeline to this thing uh i've joked several times and dustin just mentioned earlier in the podcast about how i loathe watching these things and so i opt not to most of the times and read the cliff notes afterwards i did tune in this morning i am dumber for having done so i hate myself for having done so the i let's before we get into the the nuts and bolts of the things that were said we'll we'll, we'll lay it out for you here Sarah Slain, Senior Vice President, Public Affairs of the American Gaming Association. Becky Harris, the Chair of the Nevada Gaming uh, Control Board. Jocelyn Moore, she's the Executive Vice President of Communications Public Affairs for the National Football League. John Bruning, he's a lawyer for Coalition to Stop Internet Gambling. And then Les Bernal, National Director of Stop Predatory Gambling, were the people who were the gave their five-minute spiels in front of um, in front of this hearing, you know, in front of this panel today. Uh, guys, really, let's start with the overarching thing. And the overarching thing to me is it is still incredibly shocking to me. And I understand, and Adam will have a little bit more you know, insight into this, certainly having worked on the inside. But it is still shocking to me how you can show up for one of these hearings. And I'm talking from a, a congressman's side. Knowing that you're going to have to listen and ask questions and different things like that. 
and have and, and literally having done absolutely no homework whatsoever and, and asking the most benign, ridiculously absurd, basic knowledge questions and or quoting something that is obviously so incredibly false that it, it I don't know, it just blows my mind that this is a thing. I would I prepare for this podcast, we do this podcast. I prepare for the other podcasts we do. I do preparations for every single thing and it seems like these guys are just showing up and have no clue what the hell is going on. Yeah, so I mean some staffers will prepare you pretty well. Like the chairman Sensenbrenner, he was, he seemed pretty well prepared. He was on some things a little uniform, but he at least, you know, he he prepared to at least run this thing, but you know, at the same time lawmakers we expect them to know a lot about a lot of things and the the truth is they end up knowing a very little about a lot or nothing about a lot because they have, they're 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 so they're pulled so many different ways. It's hard to expect every congressman to come in and and be really prepared it's same thing at the state level there there's so many issues that they have to deal with you know and but i i do agree like if you're not going to ask you know sensible questions you should probably just keep your your yap shut rather than uh, adding to the idiocy of of the hearing like this that we that we already had with with some with some testimony that was definitely spurious at best like adam one of those things it just it just came to mind as i was watching this that it's better you know what the old saying whatever it is it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and confirm that it just seemed like a lot of it seemed like a lot of that today it was just one of those things where you some of these questions that were coming out and some of these directions that these people were going you could just tell that they did not have any sort of grasp of of what's going on here there are only a couple of points of light that that i would go to the main one being i think Martha Roby from Alabama, just opening the floor to everyone to say, what would you do to protect college athletes? That was at least bringing up a topic without interjecting a lot of nonsense into it and giving people a chance to spread some opinions that come from various perspectives, of course. But at the same time, we get to an issue that needs to be talked about. But uh, to go back to the point that, that Dustin was making a minute ago. You referenced my experience on the Hill. So I worked for the Senate Majority Leader's Office, and our legislative affairs staff was huge. We had a couple dozen people uh, working in our legislative affairs shop. But the average congressman or congresswoman probably has one, maybe two people working on their legislative affairs. And so you're kind of at the mercy, if you're that congressman or congresswoman, of what that person brings to you on this issue or what you tell that person to bring to you on this issue. And you saw it today. You saw issues that are hyperbole. You saw questions that had very little to do with anything that would end up in gambling legislation or sports betting legislation on the Hill. And you saw, unfortunately, a couple of people brought in to give testimony who are nothing more than carnival barkers. So that really made for a poor dynamic for trying to get any sort of good information shared about the future of sports betting after past which was the theoretical concept behind having this hearing yeah it was it was very interesting when it came to you know the basically the dynamic too that was going on once they started to ask the different questions and listen i'll let i'll let dustin get into more on that but let's let's start with some of these comments that were made um some of the ones that we want to hit on at least because they were at least the ones that stood out to us Let's start with one of the ones that came from Jocelyn Moore, who basically you know, said that since the Supreme Court's decision, states are rushing to promote sports betting, and we are witnessing a regulatory 
race to the bottom. Now, of all the quotes, Dustin, the stuff that really hits home for us, obviously, because we cover the regulatory side of this so intently, that was the one that really, really stood out to me. Yeah. And look, I, I, I would agree with the idea that states are rushing to promote sports betting. I, I don't take problem with that, but I do not uh, agree with the issue that it's a regulatory race to the bottom. This is that's a, a lot of hyperbole. West Virginia started working on this, their law back in 2017. Pennsylvania's uh, you know, passed a law in 2017. They've been working on regulations for the better part of the last year. Still don't have sports betting up, uh, up and running. New Jersey has been working on this issue. You could argue back going back to 2012. When the Supreme, when the first iteration of the Supreme Court case came up, so this is not a, a rush to regulate things poorly. There, there's been a lot of thought in, in many of the states where it's been done, um, and there will continue to be that. Um, it's it's interesting that the NFL is now putting states on blast for what they're doing regulatorily because uh, they, they were kind of uh, they well, they went to Pennsylvania actually and said hey you did a pretty good job here this is what we'd fix and now they're saying oh all these states you're not really doing it right you're we should we need this federal federal legislation and that's their 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 what they want but how like most of the testimony today you know I think nobody thought that anything was going to happen real soon on the federal level so it's interesting that the NFL uh, is setting itself up now to be kind of an opponent of state level regulation and how much they're going to try to slow that down um it, it will be you know an interesting thing to watch in 2019 yeah and and one thing to point out here and the one thing that the aga did point out in this was now i understand sports betting will be new to a lot of these states that we talk about and a lot of the the states that we cover moving forward and all this but gaming and gambling in general certainly is not there is some form of gambling in every single state in the entire united states other than hawaii and utah so we are talking about at least some form of something going on so just to think that this is we're pulling something completely absolutely foreign out of thin air here that we're trying to make happen is misleading and i think that there is a lot of that that's going on as well that this is that that people are acting like this is just something absolutely completely new and nobody has any idea what they're doing yeah, sports well, betting I, is. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Adam. No, the the one point that I wanted to add, Dustin, before we before we move on to that is, I would like an answer from Jocelyn Moore, and we will be putting this question to the NFL and to anyone who espoused this point at Legal Sports Report. Explain to me what the regulatory race to the bottom means. Point to the states that have made a race to the and tell me what they've done to get to the bottom. Tell me what it is. Tell me how they are leaping down below each other to try to make it easier or to try to make sports betting an enterprise that is shadier or less worthy of integrity than any other. What are they doing? Because otherwise, this is a pretty little phrase that gets repeated that doesn't mean anything at all. And the NFL should really be a little better than that. They have arguments they can go to that really aren't terrible arguments. That's not one of them. That that's as silly as the whole ghost games thing that I wrote about yesterday uh, at, at Legal Sports Report. Anyway, to to move on with that point though, I just we're going to get some answers from the NFL on what that means. And I, I'd, I'd argue that 
um, there's yeah, there's no reason to do that. There's I don't I just don't get what the what the the talking point is. Where if I'm the NFL or if I'm a state regulator actually, and I'm hearing this from the NFL, I'm like, why am I going to listen to you? You're telling me that I just I I'm a gaming regulator. I've been doing this. I granted we haven't been doing sports betting, but we've been regulating every other type of gaming successfully for in in many in in this case of Nevada for decades. In the case of a lot of states, you know, you still decades. You know, Pennsylvania's had uh, all sorts of gambling for for a while now. So it's, it's, uh, I, I'd be pretty offended if I was a, you know, a lawmaker or a state regulator and I was hearing the NFL come say, you got, you guys have no idea what you're doing. You have to have federal oversight. You're not going to be able to do this without, without us, without our input and without Congress itself. I'd be, I think that's, I think that's a, a losing PR battle for the NFL. That was the very first thing that I thought of when I heard that was they're doing themselves no favors by coming out and coming against these states because we all believe that any sort of federal anything is certainly not happening anytime soon. But we will certainly have things happening at the state level way faster than we would have at the federal level. So to come out and basically the, the people that will be actually passing laws and implementing things for, the, for you to come out and say, yeah, by the way, uh, you guys are doing this really terribly and you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, I think that was a, a pretty interesting line to take. I'll just put it that way. Pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, line you know, we, we have the NFL. Like, I mean, obviously, people uh, have problems with the NFL PR effort on lots of things, and this is, I think, <laughs> this is just another example. Like, okay, this, yeah, you have you have your nice little soundbite, soundbite, but this is it's. Not, I, I can tell you from experience, it's not going to play well if if the right people hear it or get a hold of it. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna hurt their. Their, their currency in state legislatures. Uh, Moore went on, Adam, and said, customers who choose to place wagers should know that data is timely, accurate, consistent across markets, which you can only be assured if the data comes from sports leagues or their licensees. Translation, we want to get paid in this. It was a fancy way of saying, we want you guys to ensure that we get paid. I'm... I'm not going to disagree on the idea that there's a market out there for data, but it's a private market. It's not a federal mandate. And we already saw the NBA partner up with MGM Resorts, and MGM Resorts made a choice in a larger marketing deal to buy official data from the NBA. That was MGM's choice. That's what casinos should be allowed to do, and MGM opted to do it. But let's dig a little farther into that official league data idea. Okay, so that's what the NFL says about the way, their way to make money because they haven't pushed for integrity fees. There's a one league that really hasn't gone anywhere near the integrity fee situation. But now the NFL wants books to have to buy official data. Okay, also within Moore's testimony, they talked about the need to give leagues control of sports betting wagers. They want them to be able to control what types of wagers are offered. And to shorten it, they want to control and largely kill in-play betting. They said in that testimony that they only want to allow wagers on the final score or outcome of a game. So I guess what I don't understand is if the league data is supposed to be there to help keep the integrity of betting, which betting is that? Because we can all look and see the final score of the game. It's right up there in a bug on the screen. So which data is it that we're supposed to be protecting and why would books need to buy this data if the NFL doesn't want them to have the ability to offer wagers on it in the first place? It's as though basic fact checking didn't happen before this testimony was submitted. And it's the same testimony essentially that went into uh, Pennsylvania earlier this year. Uh, You know, Dustin, one of the one of the interesting things about this whole data deal is the fact that I don't know where the NFL is trying to claim 
that these books are getting their data from, but these books get their data from like Sport Radar and Bet Genius and all these companies that actually have partnerships with these leagues. I mean, Sport Radar is the the, the official partner NFL, NBA, NHL, etc., and, and and stuff like that. Like that's where these books are getting this data from, as it is in the first place. So they've already made a deal with a company and have entrusted them with distribution of their data. Yeah, it's uh, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, it, again, this is a continuation of talking points that started earlier this year. Is, and the, the leagues want to. It's not even. It's not even data. It's uh, like I think they're all. It was in their testimony as well from the NFL. They want to protect their intellectual property. This is where it's at. They they've been they've not won in court cases in the past about about betting data or other other related IP. Um, and they want to codify that if they can get a federal law saying that sports betting data is part of uh, and related. And data in general is is their intellectual property. They they are going to sign up for that in a hot minute because they can monetize that till the cows cows come home. And it's it's what it's all about. This is it's not even so much it's it's some about sports betting, but it's about this wider um, this IP claim that they have, and they want to to protect that. It's uh, it's it's just it just happens to be at the intersection of, of sports betting and what's happening right now, and um, it's going to be it's something that they're not going to give up on easily. I can tell you that. By far, the most worthless member of this panel was Les Burnall. I said it, you guys didn't say it, so it's fine. Les, if you're listening, you can hate me. I don't care. Um, he was absolutely worthless on this panel. He is the national director of Stop Predatory Gaming, uh, Stop Predatory Gambling, and one of the things he said was the record is clear when it comes to gambling policy here in America. States are laboratories of fraud, exploitation, and budgetary shell games. He went off on diatribe in this whole thing, Adam, where basically it wasn't even so much sports betting. He just has a problem with everything, and they put him on this panel regardless, and all he did was want to talk about how everything is terrible. There's no question about that. And I would say the same thing that I would say to the NFL about the regulatory race to the bottom, because he echoed that idea. And what you talked about with this idea of states being labs of fraud and, and all sorts of other. OK, show me. Show me your evidence. Show me something that you can point to that makes this blustering and this yelling seem like anything more than that. And he didn't do that. And the other interesting dynamic on this panel, you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, Matt. Bernal and, and and was allowed to talk and was allowed to go through his full testimony of whatever he wanted to say. And Sarah Slane and Becky Harris had to fight for every word that they could get in in this panel. They were cut off repeatedly. You could tell that they were there only because the House committee felt like they needed to have some sort of representation of gaming's interests, but they really didn't have any interest in listening to what they had to say. Yeah, it was it was very very slanted for sure when it came to that. Now, John, is it Brunning or Bruning? Uh, um, do you either one of you know? Do we know? Do we or do we care? I forget. I, I forget. I, I'm not sure we care. I, I think given yeah. what we heard of the testimony, we don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's a, he, he he is coalition to stop internet gambling. Just to remember, just to remind you of who he is. Um, he went on to say some of the most some of the most absurd things that were said today at this thing. Imagine that imagine that company. It's called Betfair. Imagine they decide to target fifteen year olds in the Milwaukee area right now, which you can do which you can do with geolocating, and they start targeting them for online gambling. Now, we've heard some crazy stuff come out of people's mouths at these various things, Dustin. 
But this guy, one calling out Betfair, then talking about targeting 15-year-olds in the Milwaukee area. I mean, like, what? I understand you speak in hyperbole because you can basically say anything these days, and people <laughs> there's there's a contingent of people who will believe you because people are stupid and gullible. But, I mean, even this is just, like, so completely absurd. Yeah, I mean, number one, Betfair, Patty Power Betfair is a regulated company in UK and Europe. Uh, they have online casino in New Jersey. They have sport, uh, online sports betting via FanDuel uh, in New Jersey. They have physical sports books now in both Mississippi and West Virginia. This is a this is a regulated company that's not that's not doing this. This is not. Uh, it's this is it was definitely the most frustrating thing I heard because it has no base in reality. Um, number one, if you're going to target somebody, call out a freaking offshore book. Call call out Bovada or My Vicky or anything. They're not doing this either, probably. But they're also not. You're not able to like say, hey, I know you're a 15 year old. I'm going to target an ad to your phone so you come bet at my sports book. This is not a thing that happens. This is not what geolocation does. Geolocation tells you whether somebody's within state borders or within a country's borders and whether they're able to legalize gambling. This is not to target minors for sports betting. So the whole thing, the whole thing was preposterous. It makes me angry. Uh, I'm not as angry as I sound, but I because I've already because I heard it a while ago. But yeah, it's it was a totally ridiculous thing. And and not on top of that, this is the coalition to stop internet gambling. I wrote a story yesterday at Online Poker Report talking about how they apparently don't hate all forms of internet gambling. They kind of want online sports betting. They definitely hate illegal sports betting, but they're not anymore trying to stop all forms of internet gambling at, at, at the border. And um, I, don't, I, I don't know why him or Les, I mean, Les is a veteran of a lot of these and, and, and always gets these calls. It's, it's frustrating that we have two people who really don't belong on this panel on the panel. Because, there, because there's no furthering of the discussion, right? It's, it's just spreading a propaganda, and that is the biggest problem with stuff like this, and especially when you have people like we're talking about, when you have some of these Congress people who show up to these and might not actually know the whole story and might not actually know all the facts. And then you invite these guys in here that are literally just spewing absolute nonsense at them. And, and the worst part about it is they might could actually sway opinion. That's really the hard part is how this is going to be covered and whether or not it creates any sort of a snowball effect. Cause that's really the only purpose for having this. If you're going to try to get something done, at the federal level, and obviously this is what the leagues wanted to happen. They wanted to have this hearing so that they would have a forum to make these things look legitimate that they wanted to say. These proposals that have been roundly rejected at the state level everywhere they've gone, other than the common sense things they've tried to ask for. Dustin talked about the IP argument that they're trying to get through. I mean, most of the IP is through trademarks and marks and things that are settled law. If they want to talk about the data portion of that, go look at the fantasy sports lawsuit and see where that went. Yeah. So it, we look at. Go ahead. It's just it, we 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 look at it and, and just to further kind of like with with this whole spewing stuff that doesn't make any sense. He he continues with kids push a button and say I'm 18. They might be 14. Kids grab dad's credit card and say I'm John Bruning. I'm 49 years old. They punch in. My 19 year old could do that. My wallet's laying there. I'm taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon. It's happening all around the country, Dustin. 
not not happening all around the country um, unless it's at offshore books. It, it, that's the that's the part that's it's not happening at legal books. Like right. there's not been you can't like, even play they, play they, money. They, you can't even play play money at, at a lot of these places without getting fully vetted and, and and different things like that. It's just it's so maddening when statements like this get made because not only can you not bet real money, you can't even bet play money without putting in your social security number without them running some checks on you and different things like that. Yeah, I mean, and he cherry picked. A, there was a recent story out of the UK where I think it was a 15 year old got his ter- dad's credit card, somehow got uh, vetted and, and got got an account and bet a lot of money. That that it, it's not impossible for happen. But I can tell you, you know, between you know the, between geolocation and, and know your customer protocols that's, that online sports books in, in New Jersey and online casinos in New Jersey have had, this is not a widespread problem. It's it's it, it it's there has not been any cases of. That have gone through regulators of minors being able to play. Could it happen? Yes. I'm not going to say with 100% doubt that that's impossible. But people go on casino floors who are not of age and bet all the time. It's not like it's a unique problem for gambling. It's so yeah. I think I think my biggest takeaway from the whole thing is we have we have Les, who I, I appreciate his passion. I you know I've known him for quite a while and I've seen him in other hearings. But he's he's asking for the genie to be put back in the bottle on on gambling as a whole. That's not happening. We have too much gambling in the United States. It's not going away. The the, the smart thing to do moving forward is to regulate it and do it in a smart way. And and this uh, the coalition to stop internet gambling. Same thing. Like if we're gonna have sports betting, you can't just have physical sports books. You have to have online sports betting. You have you should have all forms of online gambling in a regulated and legal market. This is these are just two non starter positions we had a, we had a ban on sports betting since 1992 it was a giant failure and and to to think that some kind of prohibition or limiting of how these markets are going to work is, is a smart thing is just is in is inane to me and matt yeah just just to add one thought before we go if if the house republicans want to talk about 15 year olds getting access to something that someone else has legally registered I'd be happy to have this argument about gun control if they like, because that's the same exact argument. We can't try to say that because someone registered something legally and someone else got their hands on it, that that's a reason to go ahead and do something sweeping in this sense. So anyway, yeah, exactly. There's uh, just the point that jumped out. of me. Yeah. It's, it's basically, you can change the, the narrative to fit, you know, your, how you feel about things in any of these deals. And that's why it's just for, so frustrating. Sure. Yeah. It's just so frustrating whenever you, whenever you take this in um, guys, if you want to read up, there will be tons and tons of commentary on all this, obviously uh, several different things to look at a lot more in depth, please head to legal head over to the lines.com head over to play Pennsylvania.com. All these different, uh, all these different sites of ours are certainly places where we are going to be looking at this from every single angle, asking questions, as Adam said, and hopefully getting some answers from these people who are making some of these statements out there. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to make these statements in these in, in these types of situations, well, you should be held accountable for them and you should be able to have to explain where you're pulling this from and where you're getting all this stuff. So I'm very interested to see if these people are willing to uh, to step up and really answer some of these questions we're going to be asking. Adam, if they want to follow you on the Twitter machine, where do they find you? At Adam Candy, and as you said, that's two E's instead of a Y at the end. There you go. And Dustin? Dustin Gawker, G-O-U-K-E-R. And if you want to follow me, at Matt Brown M 2 Guys, thank you very much again. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Please go rate, review, give us all kinds of feedback and do those different things because it certainly helps us make a better podcast for you guys. Until next week, we'll see you then.